This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 898, Spotlight on the Suicide Squad. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. This is episode 898. It's a spotlight on the Suicide Squad. I'm joined by my special co-host, Tibor Mate. How are you today? Good, good. Yourself? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So we have watched the Suicide Squad. Uh, what did you think about this movie? Um, yeah, very uh, different. But, uh, did not expect to see that on screen, but there it is. Yeah, it's, it's interesting too, right? Because, you know, we got... A Suicide Squad movie five years ago, and I don't think, based on the reception, that anyone really expected to necessarily see a second one. And then you had the breakout star of that movie get their own movie, which was the Birds of Prey film, or sorry, whatever it was actually called. Yeah, Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. So you have the character go over there. And then during the period when James Gunn was fired from, from Marvel, uh, DC comes to column and basically says, we want you to make a movie. Uh, do a Suicide Squad movie. You can put anyone in it you like. You can keep anyone you like from the last movie. We like Margot Robbie, so if you could use her, that'd be great. Otherwise, do whatever you want. And he did. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely its own thing. Like, with the, the, it's, it's very different than the, the first one or even the Harley Quinn film, right? So uh, it falls in its own category. For sure. And again, like, it feels like it's more of a... I guess in a lot of ways, like it feels like a James Gunn movie. Like you know, you look at Guardians of the Galaxy, you look at this movie, you can see certain DNA of of the creator of of James Gunn. You can see even the use of music uh, and certain songs for certain moments. Like you can see that he kind of has those you know those ideas in his mind or the music in his head when he's making these movies. And I was listening to an interview with him as well, and he was saying that like you know he's really good at getting money's uh, movies done under budget on time and. I think it's because he goes in knowing so much of what exactly what he wants. Yeah, yeah, he seems like that kind of guy. Like, and definitely, I think the music is playing in his head along with the scene, right? That is is, is playing out. So uh, it's kind of neat to see. It's interesting because, in a lot of ways, if you actually look at it, the plot is relatively simple. Like, it's not super difficult to follow. It's just more of a kind of a, a raucous ride to get there. Like, you have. You know, a suicide squad goes in and mostly dies. You have a secondary squad go in with their own mission. Uh, they end up, you know, meeting up with rebels in this area. They, you know, try to... They, they have this main job that they have to stop this big weapon, which eventually they do in the movie. Like, it's actually not that difficult in terms of a lot of twists and turns. Yeah, I know. It's like, uh, if you... If you watch the film and then you play out the actual story, it's pretty linear. It's just that the way they organize the film jumps back and forth a little and does like a few different things. But yeah, if you just put it in a linear order, it's a pretty straightforward film, absolutely. Which is kind of nice, right? I mean, in some ways, it's the, there's something to that because he doesn't waste time on, on kind of twists, so to speak, but more on really delving into the characters. Because I feel like you really get a lot of good character work on some of these characters that, you know, in some cases, like Polka Dot Man, doesn't get as much character work, but still gets some. And he's a character who most people would not know anything about that character if not for this movie. Yeah, I had never heard of Polka Dot Man before this, so it's a uh, yeah. You're right. It, was a, uh, it definitely is a more character-driven film um, 
than it is a plot driven film. Did you expect that going in though? Yeah, I think so. Kind of from uh, Guardians in that sense, like with the you know those films too are very much about the the characters. True. Yeah, that's very true. Um, now we get again. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go down the list. I think this might be easier to kind of break down the characters because there are a lot of characters who make play, uh, you know, show up in this movie. So let's talk about them kind of going down the list. Obviously, we have Margot Robbie back as Harley Quinn. How did you feel about her portrayal of the character and how it might have differed from the last two incarnations? Yeah, it did feel a little different with the, um, but you know, she's obviously got the character down pat, right? Like she knows it inside and out. So. Um, it still had that DNA, right? It was a, but it was slightly different. Mm-hmm. It's interesting as well because, I mean, my, my wife loves Harley Quinn and she felt like some of the gunplay with her, you know, right, killing people was, you know, maybe excessively violent for the character because, you know, especially in the last movie, they really kind of played up her being a little bit more slapsticky, and you know, and there, there's a great sequence in Birds of Prey where she's using non-lethal weapons as she's going into uh, a police precinct and, and trying to break out Cassandra Kane. That really kind of worked and was a lot of fun for that movie. Obviously, not quite the vibe that they're going with here, but you know, they definitely showed a lot of her shooting and killing people. Yeah, I mean, this this is R though, right? As well, this film. It was, yeah, but I think so was I, I, Birds of Prey. Was it? Okay, yeah. I guess it's very different R films then. Yeah, but, uh, if they're both R. Um, this one was definitely more gritty and, and kind of, uh, it was a, uh, I wouldn't say gory, but it definitely had some uh, some more violence in that sense, a little more bloody. It a, uh, but it was a little over the top, too, at the same time, so it didn't feel like, you know, it, it had like a humorous tone even to that sort of bloody action, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, going back to something you kind of said about the idea of different types of R-rated movies. So, in terms of DC movies, you have The Joker, rated R. You have Birds of Prey, rated R. And then you have The Suicide Squad, rated R. Very different R-rated movies. Yeah, they're all very like different genres, right? In the sense of like what tone they went with and what they were trying to achieve. Or even why they have that R rating, right? Yeah, there's different reasons for it, yeah. Like, Joker's very much psychological. Oh, There's sure. not so much uh, action in that sense. This obviously went with the over over the top action. Mm-hmm. What do you think uh, about? Harley was kind of in between, I guess. Yeah. What do you think about? So obviously we have Idris Elba does a great job as Bloodsport or Robert Dubois. Now they have said previously that when they first cast him, uh, they, he was originally cast reportedly to replace Will Smith's character as Deadshot, and then when Gunn decided that. He wants to change it. He chose a different character, a character he liked in the comics, and allowing Smith at some point to reprise the role if he wanted to, so they weren't taking away Deadshot from Will Smith. That being said, Bloodsport, the way they end up writing him, feels exactly like Deadshot. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it did. Like, I, I can see why they did it the way they did it, but you're right. It still, it very much felt like he was, you know, taking over that role. I mean, obviously, he plays out slightly differently, but I mean, again, it's very, it's. On the face of it, you have a, a marksman who's, you know, kind of a reluctant leader who only joins the squad to save his daughter. That's, I mean, obviously yeah. that's very surface, but that's very similar because it's both characters, uh, describes both of them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess the biggest difference is the technology that he has, right? He's more yes. like, you got all these weird different weapons that are like strapped to him, right? For sure. What did you think of uh, John Cena as Peacemaker? Yeah, I mean, it was a, uh, I enjoyed John Cena for the most part. It was, a, uh, it was kind of funny to see him as his character. Um, I had just seen Fast, uh, Fast 9, 
Okay. So or F9, whatever the fuck they call it these days. <laughs> you know, the Fast and the Furious franchise. Um, so yeah, so it's funny to see him like back to back in, in two movies. Um, but yeah, he's a lot more funny in this. Uh, he has more, you know, more humorous parts in it. Um, yeah, it was cool to see. So I enjoyed his portrayal. Apparently, originally he approached the role with like a trying to be kind of full full metal jacket esque, and then um, James Gunn told him to act like a, a douchey broy Captain America. Yeah, yeah, I could totally see that <laughs> for sure. And like he he was a lot of fun to watch because he's just very likable, right? He's kind of likable to watch because he just has that kind of magnetic charisma. And here he was, yeah, he was funny, but also very serious. Uh, like even the parts with, uh, when they're getting the briefing and he's asking about, uh, the starfish because it, you know, it could mean butthole. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That was, yeah. He, he, he does deliver lines in, in, in a way that, you know, it's just very John Cena. <laughs> yes. And like, <laughs> the, way, he, the way he says things sometimes is just like, holy shit. Like his character would suck a lot of dicks if he had to for his country. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was pretty good. Um, what's interesting, again, I, I, I kind of told you after we saw the movie that, you know, they've already made a TV series for the Peacemaker character. Yeah, which surprised me. I did, would not have expected that, but hey, good on him, right? Why not? Apparently, Make uh, it work. to hear John Cena t- tell it, basically, um, uh, James Gunn kind of wrote it. He was like, hey, I wrote this, like, eight-episode eight, eight episode show. Do you want to do it? And he's like, okay, sure. Yeah, hey, why not, right? It was a, good for him. It's funny, like it, it works for him. I mean, he's got that physicality too, um, mm. you know, where he can be like sort of that big oaf kind of guy. Like, it's a, um, so he kind of comes off as a bit of an oaf in this. Like, for sure, it, it's good. Like, it works for him. It works for him. How did you feel about uh, Rick Flagg, who obviously is re- returning from the last movie? And for, for comic book fans, he's generally, you know, one of the has been one of the synonymous characters with the idea of a Suicide Squad for a long time. So, what did you think about his return? Uh, yeah, I mean, he doesn't have a huge role in it, but with the, the, I like the actor. With the, the, uh, you know, despite RoboCop not being the best movie, I still enjoyed it, um, and partially because of his portrayal as well. Like, he did a good job in that. Yeah, um, apparently yeah, he, he he was excited about it because he got to make the character a little less silly, uh, sorry, more silly, a little less jaded, more naive, and, and more fun compared to his first portrayal. Yeah, I can see that. He, yeah, he was a little bit more laid back, and it's like he was a real hard ass in the first one, right? So for sure. Yeah, no, no katana in this movie to be uh, his back. You're right. Yeah, that's right. Um, no, I, I think probably one of those characters who's a bit of a you know runaway breakout star is is, is uh, King Shark. Yes, absolutely. I think uh, like I hope Stallone had a great time recording those lines because he definitely like he steals the screen every time he speaks. For sure, and like you could tell, it's it's sly, but like it's so much fun just to to hear him. Yeah, well, it's just funny, like a big dumb sly, you know, like which some people kind of play that, um, you know, the, the Stallone uh, with the, the impersonation as kind of like dumb Stallone, right? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of funny, like having Stallone actually do like an impersonation of himself in a way, like dumb Stallone, right? It's, it's <laughs> hilarious. Um, no, it's interesting. A character who's still here, but I would say has uh, less of a front seat role is Amanda Waller in this movie where in the first movie it was almost she was almost too front and center because I feel like Suicide Squad you kind of need to know she's always there but she doesn't need to be as in the forefront whereas here she was kind of looming in the background more often which I kind of liked how did you feel about her portrayal and what they did with Amanda Waller? Um, yeah it was, I guess you're right in a way though I thought like I felt that she had more of a role in this but she's always just in the command center right so 
And then they kind of push her to the side as well as part of the story, right? For sure, yeah. It's interesting because, again, yeah, there, there's similar story beats for the character. And I feel like unfor- it always comes down to that with a lot of these Suicide Squad things is that you always have to have the idea that the person in charge might, might you know, uh, blow everyone's heads off. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they definitely played that up in this one. For sure. Uh, I, and then, the, in terms of other returning characters, we also have Jai Courtney returning as Captain Boomerang for a very short uh, appearance. What did you think about his appearance here? Yeah, I, I, I was glad to see him back. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more, just because he was like one of the very few that came back. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I get what they went with, like, and why they did it. It was kind of like, oh, holy shit, like, what's going on with this? You know, everybody's getting toasted, right? So yeah, I, I mean, it, it worked. It worked for what they were going for. As James Gunn has said, like, you can't have a movie called The Suicide Squad and not have some people die. Um, but I think that was probably a more surprising one because, again, he was a returning character. He was a character that we'd already kind of bonded with in the first movie. He's more, you know, he's kind of a more of a name actor compared to some of the others. Whereas, you know, you have a lot of characters get killed off in the first five minutes, but his was probably the one I was most surprised by. Yeah, yeah, I didn't expect him to go as fast as he did, but... But that's yeah, how you establish the stakes. That's what they were going for. You establish the stakes quickly because you're like, oh shit, if he can die, anyone can die. Yeah, and let's be honest, we know we know Harley can. Yes. Well, I mean, some people aren't going to die, yeah. What did you think of uh, yeah. Peter, Peter Capaldi? Yeah, I mean, as a Doctor Who fan, it was cool to see Capaldi in, in this. Um, yeah, he, he played it pretty well, I thought. It was, a, it, it was weird, though, like seeing him sort of interacting in a real world with all that shit coming out of his head. Like, it, yeah. <laughs> I was surprised that um, he didn't, like, the character didn't really do much, so in some ways I was surprised that they had an actor of his kind of standing to do the role that was relatively, you know, a bit role. True, yeah, it is a pretty small uh, small piece. Uh, and then, again, two, two of the other kind of runaways here, we had, obviously, the Polka Dot Man that we already kind of mentioned, who did get, a, you know, his big kind of hero moment right before he died. Um, and then we also yeah. had Ratcatcher 2. Uh, now, I've read a lot of things recently about how Ratcatcher 2 was actually originally supposed to die. Uh, he decided, and he thought that was too pessimistic and too much of a downer, so he let her live. Um, what did you think of Ratcatcher 2? Yeah, well, she's like the upbeat character, right? With the, the, just optimistic all the time with the, and counters a lot of the other, the other uh, characters, right? So For sure. It's, um, it would have been kind of a downer if she did uh, get get uh, snuffed out, but I don't know. You know, was it, uh, are they doing a sequel to this? Uh, I don't know if they've announced anything yet, but uh, I mean, it's, it's, it looks like you know, it's it's hard to gauge money in dollars because movies aren't generally going to make as much right now because not as many people can go to theaters. Plus, it was one of the movies that was put on HBO Max, so I feel like you're cannibalizing your audience, and it's not even like you're really making a lot more money because. I mean, I guess, I don't know, because I'm not in the States, but I don't know how many people actually have HBO Max. Um, so I feel like, just like with Disney+, Plus, at least with Disney+, Plus, you had the premiere access. So they were getting money for people watching that movie. Uh, or like Black Widow, for example. But for here, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it is a weird, um, you know, accounting situation. But, but, I mean, the movie to me feels very standalone. I guess, obviously, they can make a sequel, but... I'd be fine with it just being as is. Yeah, the uh, the actress who plays her. So interestingly enough, in uh, in Into the Spider Verse, in the Portuguese dub, she plays Spider Gwen. Oh, there you go, obscure fact. 
<laughs> so obscure. Up from the internet. And when I when I looked up like you know things that she'd done, she's been in like so many episodes of Portuguese television. Like I think she's done when I uh, about like eight or nine hundred episodes of, of television in Portuguese. Uh, sorry, in Portugal. Um, but in you know in terms of uh, wide kind of uh, worldwide audiences, this is really the first time most people are ever going to see her. Yeah, yeah, I didn't recognize her from anything else, so, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, and then going down the list, we could talk about some of the people who die really quickly. We have Michael Rooker, of course, has to has to appear, because uh, he appears in a lot of James Gunn's projects. Yeah, uh, that was cool to see him. I thought that was kind of too bad, because I, I know the character Savant from the comics, and so I was kind of excited to see what they would do with him here. And so that was one of the ones I was kind of bummed out, that, oh... He's just part of the group that got killed off. Yeah, and he really does nothing, right? Like, because he, he just cowers behind the the rock there, or wherever they're hiding behind, and then ends up getting uh, blown up, right? Well, he gets blown up, yeah, after he tries to uh, paddle away on the team. Yeah, which is yeah, no, that was crazy. Uh, you had Pete Davidson made a, a very uh, quick. Uh, he was the one who kind of gave them up, and then immediately got shot. Yeah. Um, I was kind of hoping to see a little bit more of him too. So, but that was funny though the way he went down. One where I kind of figured they, if he was going to be in it, he wouldn't be in it for very long. Was Nathan Fillion? Yeah, which is funny because uh, I haven't seen Fillion in a while, right? So it's cool to see him. Well, I guess he's just he's the TV guy these days. Yeah, I mean he's been doing that cop show. I think right is his most recent project. Yeah, he is the rookie, and before that it was what uh, Castle. So he's you know he's he's squarely in TV land. So it's nice whenever he kind of shows up in other projects, and it was nice to see him here as uh, as uh, the detachable kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like a shitty action figure with his arms coming off. It was pretty funny. Yeah, I know it was pretty funny. It, well, it took me a second because he's wearing that helmet, and I, that's why I leaned over to you and I was like, "Wait, is that him?" He, well, he has, he has that voice, right? Like, he's very, like... When you hear Nathan Fillion, yeah, I, you hear Nathan Fillion. Well, that's the thing. is that, like It sounded like him, but I couldn't fully see him with the mask on, right? So yeah. I was like, wait a second. So, cool. Uh, we, had, uh, we had Weasel, um, who was actually played by Sean Gunn, because, again, he typically plays some sort of character. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, he, I think he did have a cameo as well as himself. Sean Gunn? Well, not... Yeah, not 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 with it. I'm pretty sure he was one of those background actors. Oh, it's possible or something. With it, um, but yeah, you're right. He always plays a CGI character, right? So he was usually the stand-in for Rocket as well. Yeah, although he's in those movies as well as Craglin. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, so with it, uh, like I, I think he had a cameo in um, in the bar there. Oh, uh, like, that would make sense. In his, yeah, um, in his normal form. I did like Javelin. I thought that that was pretty cool. Right. Yeah. With it. Um, don't get much of him either, right? He gets executed pretty quick, but then passes it on to Harley. Yeah, he's, he's definitely not in there long, but I guess his feels the most impactful because, again, like he kind of brings the idea of this of this javelin that ends up uh, going right into Starro's eye. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of saw that one coming with the, the, once it got to that point. With the, the, I was like, oh, okay, that's where that's going. But uh, it was kind of funny. And then the last one of the ones I kind of wanted to mention, we had uh, um, a, a, an alien called Mongal, uh, who was also part of that team that got murdered pretty quickly. That one I was bummed at only because in the comics she's like, you know, Superman level strong and durable. So I was kind of bummed that she got killed by like a, a helicopter. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, fair enough. 
That's funny. I didn't like again. I didn't know the characters, so was, uh, but that is kind of funny. Oh, you know what? You're right. Sean Gunn played. He did. He was in in one of the Bell Rev moments. He was one milling around. He was uh, a villain known as the Calendar Man. I forgot that he was there. Yeah. Okay. There we go. And actually, um, one of the characters who shows up as one of the doctors, uh, Dr. Fitzgibbon, was actually the creator of the modern Suicide Squad, John Ostrander, uh, who, without him, this movie would not exist. Uh, The Suicide Squad was an original concept way back in the Silver Age, but it was resurrected in the 1980s with what you know it to be today. Uh, The idea that it's a bunch of criminals trying to get time off their sentences by doing these missions for the U.S. government. So that really came out of John Ostrander's run on Suicide Squad. He's the one who really kind of put that all together and had those ideas. So it was nice that he got a cameo here. Yeah, that's cool. But uh, following in the sort of Stanley tradition? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's right. Um, now, the big villain here, I mean, at the, well, I mean, there's a lot of villains. You have basically, like, you know, a, a corrupt dictator. Um, you have a, a couple of dictators, technically, because one of them dies, and then his general yeah. kind of takes over. Um, and they're kind of generic, but um, first of all, we have the weird kind of romantic subplot that doesn't last very long with Harley and uh, the president of the nation, which was kind of a, an interesting diversion, not what I expected. And then you also have Starro, which I did expect because that's what you actually see in the trailers. What did you think of Starro as someone who does know, not know what Starro is? Yeah, it was a, I'll be honest with you, it kind of reminded me of the Pokemon. You know, oh. the giant starfish Pokemon. Oh, okay. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, it's a um so he kind of reminded me of that, but yeah, it, it was a it was a weird character to see on a, on the big screen, right? Um, and it's just funny because you know, without comic book movies and the sort of state of where comic book movies are, that would have never happened. You know, what I mean, like fifteen years ago, you would have never seen that. No, like, I, I, I'm so, still surprised. So, so even, even with where comic book movies are, I'm still surprised we saw it. But, I mean, it's, it's cool in a way. Like, it's nice to see that they can pull something off that's, like, totally ridiculous, but still make it fun and, and enjoyable. For sure. I, the fact that they had the balls to make a giant starfish the big villain for, you know, the hard-edged Suicide Squad. Yeah, and, like, a, a giant starfish that spews out smaller versions of itself, like alien facehuggers. Mm-hmm. That, uh, zombifying uh, whoever comes in contact with them. It's crazy because in a lot of ways, I would say that, uh, I mean, he, first of all, Starro has always done that. Um, but it was, it's, I, I would say it's never been as freaky and scary as it was here. Oh, really? Okay. Because, like, I it mean, cool. they've always done it, and they've always kind of had the, you know, kind of face-hugging and the idea that kind of took over people's minds. But I don't think they ever explored it to the same level or depth and uh, how terrifying it would actually be and, and what they would actually look like as they land on your face. Yeah, no, it, it was it was cool. Like it was, um, I like the idea of like that he, he uses the people as just like an expansion of his own brain, right? So it's like they just go brain dead and they become brain dead slate. Mm-hmm. It was a, um, but he's just using their brain power, which is kind of funny and, and kind of neat. Any any final thoughts about Starro? Uh, it just it was a uh, it was a pretty badass villain for <laughs> what it is. Like it, it worked. It's interesting, too, that we've had two Suicide Squad movies now, and each one had a very, you know, kind of over-the-top, crazy uh, villain that really does kind of outpower what they should be able to do. Yeah, that's true. Like, you had the Enchantress in the first movie, and I had Starro. Uh, I much prefer Starro as a villain to Enchantress, but, uh, yeah, no, it's just something so over-the-top and silly. Uh, unfortunately, I feel like we'll, we'll never see, you know, the Justice League versus Starro. Um, 
probably first of all because Star is dead, but you know, even in any other, not that they couldn't do something in a different uh, dimension or, or multiverse or what have you. Uh, but I feel like we'll never see you know the Justice League fight him. He was the first Justice League villain way back in Brave and the Bold number twenty eight back in nineteen sixty. Okay, that's, that's, I didn't know that. <laughs> he he predates the Fantastic Four. That's how long this giant starfish has been around. Wow, that's pretty cool. Right from the again, he was the the first villain the Justice League ever faced. So when uh, when Gardner Fox was trying to think of, um, or should, I think it was Gardner Fox was trying to decide who was going to you know fight this this giant assemblage of, of DC heroes, he thought you know what no, nothing would would spell do more than a giant starfish. I wonder what drugs he was using when he came up with that concept. I don't know. I feel like, dr- I feel like drugs must have been involved. Plus, it was the sixties, so. So I guess before we kind of end the, end the conversation there, how many how many uh, starfish on your face would you give this? Uh, I'll give it a four out of five. Or is where we are going five? That's two out of five. That works. Yeah, <laughs> so I'll give it a four out of five. Four face huggers. I think I would agree. It was definitely a weird movie, but generally like, an enjoyable one. It wasn't one where I was, you know, oh, can this end? Um, I was enjoying the time with the characters. Uh, a little bummed that, you know, Flag... Uh, ended up dying. I was actually surprised that he didn't make it out of the movie, but again, you know, they have to have casualties, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was uh, shocked by that, too, but uh, I thought for sure he'd, he'd get out of there, but surprise. Yeah. yeah, it'd be interesting to see if they do end up making a sequel. Uh, first of all, what are they going to call it now? The Suicide Squad 2? I don't know. Uh, and if James Gunn <laughs> will have time to kind of come back, as obviously he's over at Marvel Land right now as well. Yeah, well, I guess he's working on uh, Guardians 3 now, right? Guardians three and there's that you know Guardians holiday special that's supposed to come out at some point. Oh right, I forgot about that. Yeah, so uh, they gonna call it Zada to the first one. <laughs> you never know. I think it'd be kind of funny. Well, again, thanks for uh, for taking part on this episode. Uh, you can always email us at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, rate the show on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. Thanks again, Tibor, for joining us. Yeah, no problem. <laughs>